it's exciting to see how God sovereignly, without really our planning, puts a service together to draw us, like in this service, to praise him, rejoice in him, out of a position and a foundation of faith and trust in him. And that is uh, what we've been singing about and prayed about, and that's what we also hear from God's word in Romans 15. Uh, Romans 15, verses 7 to 13, is, in my understanding, the most detailed, the longest passage in the New Testament about missions. Usually we think of uh, the Great Commission passages and the Gospels and also in Acts, but uh, really Romans 15, verses 8 to 13, and starting with verse 7 as an introduction, uh, is very detailed about the purpose, the basis, the key, the process of missions. And missions is not just what a missionary does. Uh, when we look at the root of missions in the Bible, we see that it is simply fulfilling the Great Commission. And that is what you did last week and we're working at through Vacation Bible School. That's what we are to do, be a part of every day of our life. Uh, missions describes what God has called a church to do and what God has called each saved person to do to fulfill the Great Commission. But how do we do that and why do we do that? And what is the key to fulfilling our mission on earth well? Because our mission on earth is not just to make money and to live a comfortable life or to get a our own Wikipedia page uh, and be famous. God has called us to do a work that is eternal, to live a life that has eternal value. And Romans 15 verses 8 to 13 tell us our basis, purpose, what to do, and how. Uh, verse 7, we started with that because verse 7 repeats the theme of chapters 14 and 15. Receive one another. If you see in verse 7, wherefore receive ye one another. As God, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So chapters 14 and 15 has been about receiving one another or welcoming other believers. Those who are weak in faith, those who have different opinions than us on disputable issues, issues that are not explicitly uh, described, stated in scripture. And verse seven also states for us the pattern for receiving other people. It says that receive one another as Christ also received us. How did Christ receive us? Uh, that leads us to our first truth this morning. Verse 8 tells us, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Again, the beginning of verse 8 says, 
Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. The basis of our lives, the basis of the reason of Heritage Baptist Church existing, is that Christ was a servant. Christ became a servant. That word servant is diakonos, which is, has a technical definition of a deacon when it's in a local church context about an official church position. But usually that word is used in a, the general sense throughout scripture of being a servant. And this word is used very often of Jesus Christ. And verse 8 tells us the basis of our lives, the basis of our salvation, is that Christ was a minister, was a servant. And Philippians 2, you don't have to turn there, you may know that, um, but Philippians 2 tells us how Christ became a servant. Christ became a man, first of all, and then we see in his life that he was an obedient man. And then at the end of his life, we see that he was obedient even to death, and specifically a cross death. That is the basis. Uh, the basis for life is that Christ became a servant. He served us in life and in death. And that is why we can have life, eternal life. And that's why we want to live for the Lord and serve other people. Because Christ was the pattern first. And Christ, by serving us, provided for us salvation. Christ was a servant. The Moravian Mission Movement had its roots in Nicholas Zinzendorf gazing at a painting of the crucifixion of Christ, and it had that caption, all this I did for thee, what hast thou done for me? Because Christ served us and gave his life for us, we can have salvation, and after being saved, we now are motivated to serve other people like Jesus Christ did, and to tell other people what Jesus Christ did. The cross is both the message of missions and the motivation, the basis, for self-serving ministry to other people. Truth number one is that Christ was a minister. Uh, that is the basis of our lives. The purpose of our lives, the purpose of missions, and the purpose of our lives in general, is described in the following verses. Uh, verse 8b and verse 9a. Uh, there are two purposes why Christ became a servant. Verse 8a, verse 8b. He became a minister for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. So Christ became a minister, he became a man, and died on the cross to fulfill what was promised to the patriarchs, 
those Hebrew fathers, the fathers of the Jewish nation, that there would come someday a Messiah, someone who would deliver his people from their sins. And it took uh, hundreds and hundreds of years for that promise to be fulfilled. But when Christ became a servant, one purpose why he became a minister was to fulfill, to confirm those promises. We may sometimes wonder why God's promises in his word are not being fulfilled, fulfilled right away. But we can take encouragement from this fact that the most important promise of all that God would send his son and Messiah to deliver his people, that took hundreds of years for, for fulfillment. So no matter our suffering, our circumstances, and it doesn't seem like God is fulfilling his promises, we can be assured that he will. So Christ's ministry showed God's truthfulness. The, uh, the word truth of God describes the truthfulness of God to keep his promise, to keep his word. So Christ's ministry shows God's truthfulness to fulfill his promises. The second purpose and the most described purpose of why Christ became a minister is something for the Jews' sake. So he, first of all, Christ became a minister uh, for the sake of the Jews to fulfill the promise made to them that there would be a deliverer for his people, Israel. But Christ became a minister, a servant for us Gentiles. And I assume that most, if not all of us here today are Gentiles. Verse 9a, and, so this is a continuation of the sentence that started in verse 8, Christ was a minister that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That is the second purpose why Christ became a minister. So that we as Gentiles would glorify God Praise him, rejoice in him for his mercy to us. And that is the purpose of life. Uh, when all of these uh, Puritan theologians got together and they were discussing uh, and writing a new doctrinal statement and which became a catechism and they were trying to explain why or, or what is the, the purpose of man. Uh, they summarize scripture's teaching in this way, that the purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that is why we exist. This is the purpose of our lives, that we would glorify God. And specifically mentioned here, is that we would glorify God for his mercy. The purpose of life is to live for the glory of God. Uh, 
today, 8,000 miles away, which is um, roughly the, the distance between uh, Chicago and Manila, uh, it's actually 7,000-something miles away. Their night is our day, so, and their day is our night. So it's 13 hours difference. Uh, often it's 12 hours difference when there's a time change. Uh, but they've already had their services. And in many places in the Philippines, there have been hundreds of believers who have been singing the same songs that we have been singing to rejoice that the Lord is King. That's one of the favorite songs that we sing at Bethel Baptist Church. And to God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may come in. That includes all Gentiles would experience, would have at least the provision, the opportunity to experience real life, salvation from sins. And those Gentiles that we read about in verse 9, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, you know who's included in that? That included in that is us. Because this is describing, here's Paul writing to the Roman Christians uh, of what Christ did so that Gentiles in the future, Gentiles since Christ, Gentiles even before Christ, and us today, that we would glorify God for his mercy. So we are part of that. When we see this word Gentiles in verse 9, that includes us. And God's purpose for us, God's purpose in saving us, that we would glorify him. Because we were the, we were the heathen. We were the pagans. We were these unsaved Gentiles deserving hellfire. But God had mercy upon us. Uh, he showed pity and compassion and grace and mercy to those who deserve the exact opposite of mercy. That is grace. Grace is not just unmerited favor to neutral people. Grace is God's unmerited favor to those who merit disfavor, who deserve the exact opposite. Uh, but God has had mercy upon us, so we ought to glorify God and serve others like Jesus Christ. Uh, truth number three is what I am going to call the process of missions. So we've seen the basis for life and missions, that Christ became a servant. And that the kind of service that Christ rendered is beyond anything that we could imitate. He gave his life an atonement for sin. And we've also seen the purpose for life and the purpose for missions. It goes beyond the salvation of souls. 
and extends to something that is of infinite value, the greatest value in the universe, the glory of God, that the God who created all things would get the glory that he deserves. And the truth number three is the process of missions and what we do in our lives to fulfill the Great Commission. To serve others and glorify God, we must speak of Christ to unbelievers. To glorify God and serve others, we must speak of Christ to unbelievers. Now, you know, as well as I do, that this is not the only way to glorify God and to serve other people. We can glorify God by, right now, singing and praying and serving in a church. We can serve other people by mowing their lawn, by helping them cross the street, by uh, you know, giving them our cart when we get out of Aldi and they're going in. <laughs> There's a lot of ways to serve others and to glorify God. But you cannot, and I cannot, fully serve others, nor can I, and we cannot, fully glorify God if we do not speak about Jesus Christ to unbelievers. That is non-negotiable. We cannot um, dismiss that as an additional thing that is not essential. We have got to do this, and we have the privilege to do this, and it is necessary if we're going to really serve other people. You know, it's good to serve other people, unsaved people in different ways, but what kind of service are we rendering to them if we never tell them of the gospel that would save their souls for eternity. And we can glorify God in many ways, but to speak about his son, that is what God wants us to do, especially to glorify him. It is, you know, when we are the sweet aroma of Christ to those who are perishing and to those who are, are living, to those who, who will believe. Uh, that glorifies God, that there is somebody on earth talking about his son. That is very dear to our Father, and it's essential to glorify God. We must speak of Christ to unbelievers. And where do we see that? Let's start with verse 9 again. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Confess to God among the Gentiles. So verses 9b until verse 12, you may notice... Uh, says or starts with, as it is written, verse 9b, verse 10, and again he saith, verse 11, and again, 
verse 12, and again, Isaiah saith, so here's a series of four quotations. Four quotations from every part of the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the writings. Um, verse 9b is from Deuteronomy. I'm sorry, verse 9b is from Second Samuel and Psalms. Verse 10 is from Deuteronomy. Verse 11 is from Psalms. Verse 12 is from Isaiah the prophet. And from every part of the Old Testament, there's this repeated refrain that God's will and design is that Gentiles glorify him for his mercy, rejoice in him, praise him, laud him. And this is the process of missions. The process starts with a believer deciding I will speak about Christ among unbelievers. So what we're going to see, the reason why I call this a process, is because these four quotations uh, are not, they have a common denominator about uh, Gentiles rejoicing in God, but they also have steps. Uh, they expand or um, advance something that we're going to see. So first of all, the first quotation is uh, from 2 Samuel. This is David speaking, a believer. I will confess to you, God, this is a prayer. I will confess to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing unto your name. So the process starts with a believer deciding, I will speak about Christ among unsaved Gentiles. I will speak about Christ among unbelievers. And it's, that is a decision we have to make. We have to determine to do that because often it's not easy to do that, right? But to decide, una salahat, I'm sorry, decide first of all, <laughs> I will confess to you among unbelievers. I will speak about Christ among unbelievers. Then, verse 10, Gentiles are commanded to rejoice in God with God's people. Verse 10, and again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. So here is, first of all, a believer confessing, talking about the Lord, rejoicing in him. And then secondly, Gentiles are enjoined, encouraged, to join with believers. Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with God's people. Verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. Now verse 11 has no mention, clear mention of God's people. It's commanding Gentiles to rejoice, uh, emphasizing all Gentiles, all people groups from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation to rejoice in the Lord, to praise the Lord. And that is the big question. How can every 
kindred, tribe, people, and nation do that? How can unsaved people do that? How can people in Frankfurt, Illinois, and surrounding communities who don't know the Lord, how can they do that? Why would they praise the Lord and laud God? And that leads us to the fourth quotation, which is the root of how that happens. How it happens that an unsaved person would come to the point of glorifying God for his mercy. Look at verse uh, 12. And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. End of quotations. In verse 12, what is Isaiah saying? There shall be a root of Jesse. Who is that? That is Jesus Christ. He that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. Yes, that is Jesus Christ. And in him shall the Gentiles do what? Shall the Gentiles trust. They will put their hope in Christ. And that is how unsaved Gentiles get from that spot of being in the kingdom of darkness to being in the kingdom of God's dear Son by putting their hope and trust in Him. But it started with quotation number one, step one, a believer in the midst of unsaved people saying, I'm going to confess to the Lord. I'm going to talk about the Lord among the Gentiles and sing unto his name. So we need to decide to do what David decided to do. He said in prayer to the Lord, Lord, I will confess to you among the Gentiles. Um, in our language, uh, more modern day, we would say, Lord, by your grace, I'm going to testify about you, speak about you among my unsaved relatives, my unsaved co-workers, to my unsaved neighbors. I will confess to you, I'm going to talk about you among unsaved people. Verse 9b also mentions something significant. I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And uh, not everybody is a great singer uh, here, I'm, I'm guessing. Maybe you all are, but usually uh, not everybody is. Um, and really the issue here is not... Um, you know, the, the, our voice quality. <laughs> um, and it's really not even singing itself, but it's the heart from which real singing comes. Uh, 
And you see that because you see that in um, the next verse, rejoice, praise, laud him. It's, it's a heart of rejoicing in him that sings to the Lord. So we need a heart that sings, verse 9, and rejoices, verse 10, and praises God, verse 11. And how is that? We have our trust, our hope in him. And that leads us to verse 13. How can we have the heart, the life that we ought to have? What is the key to being used of God to reach other people? The key to glorifying God as he designed us um, and as he saved us to do. Verse 13 is the key to life and missions. Because in verse 13, there's a change here. Uh, he's been giving truths in verses 9 through 12. But verse 13 is an application. Here's an application of the truths of verses 9 and verses really 7 to 12. Verse 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So here's what David did. He confessed to the Lord. He'll sing unto his name, unto God's name. Gentiles are to rejoice. God's people are to rejoice. And now you, Roman believers, and now you and me, um, believers here this morning, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That is the heart from which uh, singing, rejoicing in the Lord, testifying to his name comes from, right? It's the out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. When I was um, uh, interested in my wife, it was in marrying her and courting her, it was difficult for me not to tell other people about that. <laughs> and, um, but I was supposed to for a while uh, because of various circumstances. Um, and uh, because it's natural and normal, if something or someone is filling your heart, you want to speak about that. You know, when our son got married, it was easy for us to tell other people about that. Uh, when God does something great in our lives, uh, we want to tell people. If God has answered a prayer or given us a promotion or protected us from some accident, uh, we, we want to share that because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we need, a, in order to uh, sing about the Lord in order to confess about the Lord, testify about the Lord. We need a heart abundant with the Lord, full of the Lord. 
a heart, verse 13 describes, of joy, of peace, and of hope. How can God fill us with joy, peace, and hope? In a world that has so many sufferings and difficulties and so many problems, so many things that we do, are, we are legitimately distressed about, concerned about. Things that we see are wrong. And we wish that God would vindicate his people and his truth. But a complaining spirit and a doubting spirit is not the kind of spirit that God wants us to have. God wants us in the midst of difficulties and even sufferings to be filled with joy and peace and hope so that out of the abundance of that kind of heart, we would sing unto his name and talk about him. And where does that heart come from? According to verse 13. There is joy and peace in what? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It is in believing. With the eye of faith, looking at the eternal, looking at God who is ruling, sovereign over all that's happening. By faith, looking at eternity, that someday we will stand in heaven, rejoicing, secure, safe, and all the trials on earth past. It's, we can have in this life joy and peace not found in circumstances, hope not on, you know, reversing Congress and winning the next election, but joy, peace, and hope in believing. In believing, verse 12 describes, in believing the root of Jesse, in believing in Christ, in placing our hope and trust and faith in Christ. Because believing in Christ brings salvation. Salvation which brings joy, peace, and hope. Believing in Christ leads you to the scripture because you want, since you believe him, you want to know him. And as you read the scripture, the scripture gives you joy, peace, and hope. And believing in Christ also causes you to submit to him. And in submission, there is joy and peace and hope. Christ was a servant so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. But for others to trust in Christ, we must trust in Christ. If we want people to put their hope in Jesus, we as believers need to put our hope and keep our hope in Jesus Christ. Um, the second church that I pastored, um, I, I learned something. Uh, I kind of came to a conclusion about the main problem of believers. <laughs> and and I, I 
I don't want to say that that church was a problematic church, um, but um, it had some problems. <laughs> and there were many good people, good godly people there. But, um, and the church that I now pastor also is not perfect. And I also came to this conclusion looking at myself. You know what is, what I think is the main problem of believers? That often we as believers fail to believe. We have put our trust in Christ for salvation, but in the everyday things of life, uh, when pressures come and problems and decisions to be made, and when we are in the midst of unsaved people, uh, we don't have, like we should, the rejoicing, peaceful spirit that is um, focused on Christ, that can speak about Christ and sing about Christ like we should. If we are trusting in Christ in our daily, daily lives, he will fill us with joy and peace and hope so that we can speak about Christ among the Gentiles. You are a believer in Christ. Let's trust in Christ on a daily basis in every aspect of our lives so that we speak about Christ and sing to his name and praise him in every situation so that when we come to unbelievers, we can say something like, you know, I'm so thankful that the Lord did this. I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ, for God's working in this situation. Do you know him? Do you know the Lord Jesus? And they will listen to us much better because they see that there is a difference in our heart and spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow in our faith and that our faith would spread to every aspect, every area of our lives, to respond to difficulties and problems with faith, um, to respond to choices and decisions with having our hope and trust in you. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to decide that by your grace we will speak about you among unsaved people and from a heart of joy and peace sing unto your name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.